0: I'm Autumn Lockett.
1: And this is Mitch Randall.
0: And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly.
1: On this episode of Good Faith Weekly, Autumn and I interview Reverend Dr. Corey Jones from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Burlington, New Jersey, along with Starlet Thomas, who is a Reverend working for the Washington DC Baptist Convention and we are going to be talking about the latest news regarding Ahmad Arbery's death in Georgia. So you wanna stay tuned for that interview. Autumn, how are you doing this week?
0: No, I think we're doing well. It was an interesting interview with Starlet and Corey. You know, mm-hmm. we, we interview them before we do this intro. And so I'm I'm honestly still a little bit shook
1: yeah yeah it it's a it's really heavy it's a heavy interview obviously uh, with the events unfolding down in Georgia uh, this week uh with uh, Aubrey's death happening uh, months ago, uh, but arrest uh, not taking place till this very week uh, we got a perspective from both starlet and Corey that was very very enlightening but also very challenging to the yeah. church in today's culture so you know, I can't stress enough to our listeners that they are not going to want to miss uh, this interview.
0: No. In fact, it's one of those interviews I'm actually excited to edit it because I want to listen to it again with a, a keener ear. So I think, it's, I think it's a really important conversation. It's a hard conversation. You know, you and I went back and forth quite a bit trying to decide how we wanted to um, to capture what we wanted to say to Charlotte and Corey. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so uh, again, want to encourage our, our our listeners to stay tuned for this. Uh, it's quite a lengthy uh, interview, but uh, you are not going to want to miss one moment of it. You know, another uh, issue that we're facing here at Ethics Daily this week is the reopening of the economy during a pandemic, and it seems like there's quite a bit of debate these days about what that's going to look like and if uh, states are opening uh, too soon, uh, even though it seems as though the spread of the disease is is in some in some locales uh, spiking a little bit, uh, other locales it's uh, is decreasing. But there's a big debate about mask these days, and I wrote about it in my uh, article uh, this past week, uh, talking about unmasking theology. and And I want to spend a great deal of time talking about this, but you know it does seem to be uh, very hotly debated uh, in cultures yeah. today. Uh, My point in the article that I published at ethicsdaily.com was that uh, to wear a mask or not to wear a mask might actually unveil or unmask, I think is the word I used, unmask our theology. A yeah. theology of individualism versus a theology of looking out for the common good. And I use the backdrop of the parable, the Good Samaritan, and the sacrifices that the Good Samaritan made to help this stranger. And if the Good Samaritan can make those kind of sacrifices to help a stranger, why can't we make a sacrifice to wear a mask out in public to help spread the the uh, infection of this disease? So. Um, you know it's a hotly debated topic. I mean, I know that we're on the same page on that, but there's certainly it people is. who are not.
0: Yeah, I, I put myself out there a little bit, reposting um, an article on my personal Facebook page this week, and um, it sort of devolved. I think I was able to keep it pretty, um, pretty civil, but I just I don't understand how it's so political. Whether or not to wear a mask, and something that Corey alludes to in our interview later is uh, sort of this one topic thing. Like, if you don't believe in this, then if, if you and I can't agree on this one single topic, then we can't agree on anything. Mm-hmm. And masks are starting to be one of those topics.
1: Yeah, it seems to be a, a, a topic of division, a wedge, a wedge issue, really.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, And so, you know, I hope just people would would rethink this. Uh, It is not a matter of personal freedom. It's not an affront to personal freedom or personal conscience, uh, especially if you are a person of faith and follow the teachings of your Holy Scripture. And for our sake, uh, we are Christians, and we certainly take uh, the uh, example of Jesus uh, extremely serious. Uh, He is the criterion in which we flow all of our theological thoughts and understandings through. um, Mm -hmm. Just ask yourself, what would Jesus do in this instance? I do think that he would want to care for other people. He obviously showed and demonstrated concern for the sick and the poor and the needy. And he went Mm -hmm. to great lengths to make certain that they were well and they were fed and they were taken care of. And as followers of his, I think we need to do the very same thing. So uh, get your mask on, people. I mean, it's not that hard. Well, stay tuned for our interview with uh, Corey Jones and Starlet Thomas. It is one that you will not want to miss. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And as we said a moment ago, we have two very special guests with us, Reverend Starlet Thomas and Doctor Reverend Doctor, I should say, Corey Jones, and they are both uh, part of our organization here at Good Faith Media, and we are glad that you have joined us today. Thank you for being with us.
2: Thank you for having me. My pleasure.
1: Well, we've been starting uh, each interview asking uh, our interviewees the same question, and that is, how are you doing during this time of pandemic, and how are your congregations handling this?
3: You know, um, we were one of uh, those in in that earlier group, that early to mid-March group that just shut things down and um it was very abrupt so um our congregation had to kind of um uh, get used to things um in a very quick way yeah sure and so um they adjusted very very well um i'm so grateful that we um invested Uh, In technology, Mm -hmm. Um, we're not the most technological church, but we we have invested in it. And so the transition to this online virtual ministry has really uh, not been as bad as some of my colleagues, as some of my colleagues.
1: Well I've seen some of your live uh, streams Corey and you're doing just fine I mean it's it's really really well done and put together so uh, kudos to you and and the leadership there at uh, Tabernacle well very very well done so
3: oh thank you thank you start how about you. you and your
1: congregation
2: uh, Well I serve the DC Baptist Convention so we have hundred and sixty one uh, I've been going from church to church from house to house as it were virtually and otherwise and I've just found that there's been a bit of um cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. uh, Persons, mm-hmm. while we are saying there, there's a, a level of discomfort with saying Christ is risen um, when morgues are full, and so yeah. I'm talking them through lament, and uh, I confessed on uh, this past Sunday that I felt like I wasn't at Easter Sunday yet, that I mm-hmm. was somewhere between Good Friday and Holy Saturday, um, mm-hmm. and so I'm finding a lot of persons I'm stuck in that in between, um, and so we're just learning to lament. I find that some of our churches are ill-prepared to mourn with those who mourn. So we're just trying to find a new way in which to praise God while also walking alongside folks um, who experience experiencing immense loss. Well,
1: I'm gra- glad that both of you are doing well. It sounds like the congregations in the D.C. area and uh, the congregation at Tabernacle are doing well and adjusting quite fine. Our prayers and thoughts are, are with you and your folks there. And uh, just glad to, to see that the ministry continues uh, and good news is continue to spread during this very dark time in the life of our world. Well, thank you for, again for being here. Um, there is a reason that we invited both of you on the podcast today, and that's because both of you wrote excellent articles this past week at ethicsdaily.com. Both of you addressed the fatal shooting of Ahmad Arbery, Aubrey was a young black man jogging through Brunswick, Georgia neighborhood on February the 23rd of this year when two white men confronted him and accused him of burglary. In a matter of seconds, Aubrey lay on the ground dead while the two white men walked away without being charged. Three months later, a videotape was released by the family's lawyer showing an altercation and shooting. The local district attorney, after three months of delays and recusals, said that he wanted to send the case to a grand jury. The family and many others obviously disagreed with this decision. It was not until Georgia State Police interceded after the video surfaced that an arrest was finally made on May the 7th. Corey Starlett what in the world? I mean, my goodness, do either of you think that these two white males would have even been arrested if this video would not have surfaced?
2: The short answer is absolutely not, if it were not for video. But often we've seen that even with the video, these persons often get off because the, uh, the socially, socially colored black bodies I'm going to use the terms in which I'm familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, When you color code bodies and you put evil into a color, uh, they're criminalized. So it's automatically white is good or white is right. And if you're black, get back. So it's that narrative that's being perpetuated. Um, So they felt well within their right to uh, take the law into their hands because in America, let's be honest, uh, white is right. White is law. White is what is good. And so whatever they had going on in their minds for them, judge, jury, and executioner, ready to go.
1: And Corey, you wrote about that specifically in in your article uh, when you, uh, I think, even in the title of the article that you wrote mm-hmm. last week for EthicsDaily. dot com, was talking about how black bodies are not worth as much as white bodies in mm-hmm. this country.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, really trouble with that because it's 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 interesting for Christians to not be able to respond to that, and we're also we're always talking about the Amago Dei. We we can see the divine image and everybody, everybody uh, that's related to us, but someone who may not be, who's a neighbor across the street or neighbor next door, we really struggle with that. So either God is the creator of all, or God is not. Mm. We don't don't get to pick uh, these selective um, creation narratives. I'm really troubled um, by the lack of the the poor biblical interpretation as it relates to race. It's either we're all God's people or something's wrong here. Like we're not doing church right. And we're certainly not reading the Bible correctly.
3: Amen. conditioning? Yeah. it's it's societal conditioning it's church conditioning um even myself you know um there were things i had to snap out of as an african-american male uh growing up with white images of jesus well Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. white literally jesus was brown hair and blue eyes Mm -hmm.
1: yeah i remember seeing the photos
3: you know, that's what we grew up That's on.
1: what it seemed like and, to me, that they were photos, not, uh, you know, paintings, but photos of Jesus. And he somehow looked at this very yeah, European yeah, look yeah, at him.
3: Yeah, yeah. Moses is Charleston Heston.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs>
3: you, you know what I mean? <laughs> there it is, yeah. Is biblical is white. Yeah. And so when you, when you have these images in your mind, then everything else is the other. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And when everything else is the other, you can depict and define it however you choose. Absolutely. And most of the time it has a negative connotation.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just that we have divinized whiteness and we have demonized blackness. We have located people into into the flesh. Um, Brian Bantam talks about race as the word we've made flesh. So we've made people black bodies and white bodies. We've made those words flesh. It's a social contract. We know it's not a biological reality, but we continue to agree to it. So as long as the church goes along to get along, it's it's going to continue to happen. I'm not surprised. I'm disgusted. I'm appalled. But then it's just like, eh, it'll happen again. Until other persons put their bodies on the line, it's going to happen again. You got to put your body on the line. This is not about talking anymore. I don't want you walking with me. I don't want to hear a sermon about it. Don't sign a petition. Put your body on the line. I don't even want your money. Put your body on the line. Yep.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, when you say put your body on the line, can you contextualize that for the listeners? Uh, What does that mean?
2: You know how that that young man uh, followed? Arbery's running Mm -hmm. and a man is behind him recording. Mm -hmm. Why couldn't he be the man in front of Arbery? And jumping Mm. in front of And preventing what he knew was going to happen. While he's running around here playing the victim as if, oh my gosh, I was just, I'm just, i so grieved that I was in this space. Put your body on the line. Mm. Why didn't you stop it? Mm -hmm. Why didn't you stop it? You knew what was going to happen. And instead you sat and recorded it. Something must be said for that. That's a sick voyeuristic way in which to view the world that I'm just going to videotape it and thereby I've done a good thing. That's not a good Samaritan. Well, you know,
3: not to make this overly biblical, but, you know, one who loves scripturally is one who lays down his life for a friend. Mm. But when I view the other as the other and not as a friend, that's right. then there's really no love there. That's right. Right. You know, they're the other still. Right. And -hmm. if they're the other still, I'm not going to lay down my life. I'm not going to sacrifice something for the other. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen.
2: Mm -hmm. That's a good way to put it Whiteness has a cost to it There's some privileges attached to it There are benefits, there are perks to it And so if I'm going to identify with this other Who's also a human being Race just really blows my mind But you're looking at other folks and you're saying I'm not getting into that I'm not going to lose my privileges I'm not going to give up my perks to side with this person And that says a lot if you profess to be a Christian I really struggle with that
1: mm -hmm. Absolutely Yeah. So we're talking about getting Christians uh, together to, in solidarity, interject themselves into this, uh, and let's call it what it is, a pandemic of racism. Well. It is a pandemic of racism that has stood throughout history and continues to evolve even today. And while we think that we have come a great way, and in many ways we have, but in other ways we have not come you know, especially in the societal, uh, systemic racism that we see ingrained in culture. and It's not only in America, but it's around the world. Mm-hmm.
2: Aren't we supposed to be the body of Christ? Exactly how do you amputate, segregate one body? Mm.
3: Well, let me, let me say this. So um, I'm a part of a group in in and Mitch, you're familiar with this group uh, in my area where we have black and white pastors who come together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe I told you this story before, soon after uh, Donald Trump was elected uh, the president of the United States, we got together to try to unpack it, try to talk about it. And uh, one of the the white pastors, uh, when I mentioned uh, criminal justice, when I mentioned uh, police brutality, when I mentioned racism, he said to me, this is how I view this. I view it as a car accident. And in that car accident, a man is critically injured. He said he has uh, an injury to his neck where he hits a vein or an artery and he's bleeding profusely. And he also has a broken leg. Mm-hmm. He said to me, he actually said these words. He said, criminal justice, racism, police brutality, etc., are the broken leg. And abortion is the bleeding artery. And if I can take care of that issue, then all the rest of the issues will take care of themselves. <laughs> I said to him, I said, don't ever say anything like that to me again in your life. I said, you have offended me deeply and words can express how unchristian I think your words are.
0: Yeah.
3: And so when it comes to this, this, this issue of, of privilege, this issue of racism in this country, And across the world, to be quite honest, uh, you know, you have people that have created hierarchies of issues. Mm -hmm. And so your issue, because you matter less, is down at the bottom. Oh, yeah, we think it's wrong. Yeah, it may not all the way be right, but hey, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it. We got to handle these issues right here first, which is absolutely insane. Yeah,
0: yeah. it is. Wow.
1: That's powerful stuff.
0: Pro-life, but refusing to see racism for what it is. You can't yeah. be both.
3: Well, it's, it's for me, and, and I've told several of my white colleagues this. I said, you're, you're not pro-life. Stop saying you're pro-life. You're pro-birth. <laughs> you're pro-birth. You want the child to get here. You want the child to come through the womb, right, into this world. But when that child gets here, then you want to deny the life that comes in this life. Quality yeah. education, uh, you know uh, basic human rights like healthcare that's not pro life that's pro birth
2: yeah
3: yeah absolutely
2: it's a preach in say a word
1: here for it uh the offering day, but i can cash that True. True. Now, Corey, you uh, you brought up um the, the election of donald trump and the and i'm so glad and, and we are actually going to be if this uh pandemic ever you know comes to a close and we're able to travel again uh, we're bringing a, a film crew up to New Jersey to tell that story about how you guys are coming together as both uh, with w- as a Christian community from, coming from very different points of view, but actually engaging in communication and fostering community. Uh, but you mentioned the election. I think Autumn has a, a question yeah, about. Uh, I thought
0: you were about to take my question. I was going to be really upset with you because. perfect segue. Um So I come from a family um, where I'm sort of the person who's out here on the liberal left alone. So since 2016 has been a very, very interesting time for me. Holidays are tricky. And um, I'm just curious, what does it look like um, in your families? Are things as divided as they are at my Thanksgiving table? Um, Because... I see deep issues with uh, the emboldened bigotry that we're seeing from this voice behind Donald Trump. So is that something that you're also experiencing?
3: Absolutely not. I go to the dinner table. It is, there is complete consensus. Can I (laughs) come? (laughs) You're more than welcome. There is complete consensus uh, of the person, the megalomaniac that we have in uh, the White House. there mm-hmm. There is complete agreement um, at most Black tables uh, yeah. in the United States. I, I can honestly say that would probably be the, the conversation. Not every, let me be very clear, not every, because you do have those who differ um, in opinion. But the majority, I can confidently say, uh, you would be more than welcome. At the Thanksgiving table, they may even give you the knife to cut the turkey.
2: (laughs) Charlotte, is that your experience as well? Not for me. I mean, there's consensus in my home, yes, but um, I'm from the South. And so my folks um, use scripture a, a bit differently. And so they believe they're supposed to respect governmental leaders and they don't even talk about uh, much of, many of the egregious things that he's said. Uh, instead, they invite me, and this is a real story, they invite me to participate in their Bible study so that I can say it for them.
1: Mm, oh,
2: they, they, oh, wow. I swear it's a true story. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll be joining them tonight at 8 o'clock. Um, they're going to have conversation, and they'll say, Reverend Thomas, you know, is there anything you want to share with us tonight? And they'll let me, you know, Mm-hmm. unpack for them, exegete uh, what's going on in the White House for them, but they don't feel comfortable theologically or otherwise mm-hmm. um, to, to speak in that way. They don't feel empowered to do so. Um, they may also not have the language for it, but they do realize that something is really wrong. And so I've, I've seen some changes in them, uh, but still there is this, this need to um, honor the Bible, respect authority, and he is a leader, uh, and God's going to make a way out of no way, and all things are working together for good. And I'm like, okay, <sighs> Yeah. So you're welcome at my house. I'm not necessarily. I don't think I'm always welcome at my <laughs> at my <home. laughs> but You can come to mine. Okay. I'm part of that that, major- that minority
1: that you know. Yeah. You know, I, so uh, listening to both of you talk and uh, the conversation that's unfolding before us, you know, we've we've mentioned the election and a lot of things have transpired since 2016 it was such a pivotal moment in the life, not only of our country, but of the world. We went from the first African-American president, uh, in our country's history to the current president. And I don't think there could have been an, any more of a drastic shift, uh, in leadership in the country. Um, since 2016, we have seen, uh, we've experienced a lot of, Very difficult moments, but we also experienced difficult moments under the Obama presidency. When situations that unfolded in Georgia surfaced, there is an appropriate reaction of outrage regarding them. But one thing that I see as a differential between the white community and the black community is the white community acts surprised. And the black community says, oh, no, it's always been there. You just haven't seen it or haven't been looking for it.
2: Right.
1: Is there ever going to be a time in this country when white Christians have the scales fall off their eyes so they can see the truth?
3: Mitch, I don't know, bro.
1: And that's an honest answer. And I I think I'm right there with you, Corey.
3: You know, it's my hope. Um, It's my prayer. I have seen more white Christians speak out on this issue than I've seen probably in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a tweet, and don't quote me on this, but I'm almost sure a friend of mine put it on social media. It was a quote from um a tweet from Andy Stanley mm-hmm. who was upset about this. Now, um that's that means something to me. I mean, I have to be honest. Sure. That means something for for um for a white pastor. And I have a, and I have a Southern Baptist colleague. We went through our D-Men together. He's in Brunswick, Georgia. He's on the front lines of this and he is standing up and speaking out about it. Um, and I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him um, because because if, if white pastors, if white evangelicals would call this what it is, mm-hmm. sin and acknowledge it, here's the key, and acknowledge it as pervasive, mm-hmm. not a one-time occurrence, but acknowledge it as consistent pervasive and the virus that it is we talk about the coronavirus we talk about COVID-19 let's talk about as you said uh Mitch the pandemic of racism in this country if we can if we can get some of our white leaders to step up and call it what it is then maybe I'll have some more hope Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Starla what do you think
2: I don't buy it I don't. I think, they, uh, I think the scales are for sale.
1: Mm. I think
2: it's, I'm pretty sure it's wool for ignorance. Yep. How many years? I don't buy it at all. Uh, it's a plantation mindset. This is, this is the way it's supposed to be. The reason why Donald Trump was elected is because he had to reclaim that white supremacist narrative. An African-American in the White House, the highest office in the land...
3: We got to snatch
2: that it back. <laughs> to question every single stereotype that you have given to a socially colored black body. It had to be reclaimed. It okay. had. It, ha- it had to trump that. That's why it's been so ferocious. That's why it's been, they've been so outspoken. So no, I'm not waiting on socially colored white people to do anything. That's not. That's not their role. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the way in which they save. I'm not. I'm not impressed. I'm not going to applaud. I don't see it as their reasonable service. I think it is willful and intentional ignorance. It's not just about race. It's about capitalism. Mm. Racism is about a hierarchy. There's a social rung. And these crabs in a barrel, if I'm waiting on the so-called white man to save me, that's not the role. That's not how that story goes. White looks- is a savior, but it, it saves itself. It doesn't save other
1: people. Yeah. And that's what I think. You know, th- this this situation that that has come to the society's attention, and our attention today, Um, it's – I want to be very careful with my words here. It costs very little for a white pastor to stand up and say, this is wrong because we've got video footage. We've got a narrative that fits the white narrative or it counters, the white narrative that this, this kid was out on a run um, in a neighborhood. Uh, he went in and, and looked at a house that was being built. Every kid in a neighborhood has done that before. You know, and, and then he, he gets run down by two white males and shot and killed. It costs them very little to stand up in this one moment. Yeah. My question is, where are they when it comes to income inequality? Where are they when it comes to health care? When does it come, when, when, where are they when it comes for them to actually make a sacrifice
3: <laughs> See that's that's what I was saying before, Mitch. So the reason I I, I stand in tension with myself and mm-hmm. try to have a little bit of hope, but not so much, is because um, it has to be acknowledged as pervasive. It has to be acknowledged as something that is ongoing and not isolated. That's the issue right there. Because if I not if I acknowledge as a white pastor that it's pervasive then that means I am admitting publicly that number one, it didn't just happen. It's been happening and it's probably going to continue to happen. Right. So then that takes away the, Oh, the, Oh, the Ahmaud Arbery family. Oh, that was so unfortunate. That shouldn't happen. And it puts, it puts it back in perspective, like, Whoa, this has been happening time after time, after time, after time, after time. And it's it's due, here it goes to these reasons. These are the ish, These are the underlying reasons that cause it: income inequality, seg- segregated environments. You know, and I go down the list of underlying reasons as to why something like this can happen. Mm-hmm. Right, a colleague of mine, um, Dr. Wayne Croft, he reflected on Dr. Vernon Johns, who was um, pastor of. Um, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church before Dr. King in Montgomery and um he he was he was known for posting the title of his his sermons on the um on the board outside, of a marquee outside of the church, and there was a, a killing of a, of a young uh, Negro at the time, a Negro uh, who was running, and um, when they talked to the guy who shot him, they said, why'd you kill him? He said, well, he was a black man running, so he, he was running from, for something. There's a reason he was running, I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. There's a reason he was running. He wasn't just running, he was running for a reason, so I shot him, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the mindset that is existing right now in 2020 that he was running, so he must be running from something or for right. something, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we don't get to the underlying reasons for that kind of conditioning, that kind of thinking, and why it's okay in people's mind to even, to even have that kind of rationale, right? Then we're, we're just, this is gonna blow over and we're gonna be on to something else in, in three weeks.
2: You yeah. said it right there. Mm-hmm. America's never moved off the plantation. These so-called white people, socially colored white people, think that they have the power to surveil other bodies. That's what I, where, where are you going, boy? What are you uh, doing in this neighborhood, boy? We haven't moved off the plantation. You can pass as many amendments as you would like, pass as many laws as you want. Until you change the laws that are in people's minds and the ways in which they govern their bodies and the ways in which they see other people, nothing is going to change. The fact that they thought that it was okay to lynch, and I will use the word lynch, to lynch him. Do you know how much trauma... That does to the African-American community to watch that?
3: No.
2: He's in the back of a pickup truck with a gun, chasing the boy down, yep. chasing the young man down. Do you know how many times I've heard this story? How many times I've read this story? How many times I've, I've it's incredibly traumatizing and then it's deeply disgusting to hear some people say, oh, this, was just, this is the first time ever I've ever heard of it. Lies, you liar, you liar. Would you put your head under a rock? There's no way this is the first time when there's lynching photography that has circulated this 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 continent. Give me a break with that. Mm -hmm. There's record upon record upon record of violations of bodies that are socially colored black by 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 persons who are socially colored white because they think it's their right to do so. And something has to be said about that. Mm -hmm. Part of my problem is, and you'll hear me say it all the time, I'm not calling anybody white, black, red, yellow. I'm not giving that to you. Right. those are stereotypical identities those are contracts those are, that's, I'm not going to relate to you in that way you don't have that kind of power if you are a white person if I identify with you as a white person then I'm a black person that automatically makes you above me and puts you in charge of me and I refuse I refuse to give up that space mm-hmm.
1: yeah. very well said very it. well said uh, yeah. very well said you know start in your piece you talked about justice better late than never as people as good faith people and in our situation, as people attempting to follow the teachings and the lessons and the lifestyle of Jesus from Nazareth, who we've already said is a Middle Eastern man, uh, you, know, with, you know, who looks a lot more like me. and who haven't, who, People who have not seen a picture of me, I'm dark-skinned, uh, Native American. And, uh, but those of us who attempt to follow his way, and he, showed, he did show us the way. Yes, he did. I mean, it's very, cl- very evident in Scripture. Thinking along those terms of justice better late than never, how can we strive as a people of faith towards that justice, that arc of history that Dr. King referred to, how can we continue to bend that art towards justice
2: such a powerful question i'm gonna live my life in protest to injustice Mm. every time my body shows up every time i'm given a privilege to, to say something i'm always going to talk about race and undermine its credibility at every at every opportunity i think for us it is to reclaim the narrative and to remind persons whose body we belong to if we're christians whose body do you belong to and it's a body that's suffered and if you can't identify with the suffering Christ as a Christian how are you identifying with the suffering around the world I really I have I, I really struggle with that mm-hmm. you can't understand the suffering of other people but then you worship a suffering Christ Sunday after Sunday make that make sense to me
1: of course said just a moment ago that we you know love no, uh, there's no greater love than when someone lays their life down for another you know, I remember listening to uh, Representative John Lewis speak numerous times, and what did he always encourage us to do? Go get in good trouble, get in the way, get in good, good and trouble, necessary trouble. Necessary trouble. It's exactly yeah. right.
3: Yeah. Well, I, you know, if if you ask me, you know, a lot of this, in terms of justice, um, in terms of love, and, and all these issues that we've talked about, they come back to our hermeneutic. Yeah. And and I think that is a critical, critical issue. I mean, I, I can't even ex- express it, how, how, how critical it is. Our interpretations of Scripture based upon false, misguided exegesis, mm-hmm. right? that can't come from any perspective other than a Euro-American is so damaging, right? When I read the scriptures, when I look at the context, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? (laughs) You know, some folks are even going to describe Jesus' hometown as the ghetto. Mm -hmm. Straight out of Nazareth. Yep. Straight, straight, straight out of, out of Nazareth. Nazareth. You know, I'm from LA. Let's see if Leah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so so I mean this this ain't this this ain't rich people. Right. You know, and so you you if you if you're putting an affluent hermeneutic on a poor text and then sharing it with people from that false hermeneutic hermeneutical perspective my God, this is, this is what you get, That's right? right? Mm-hmm. And so I can be more concerned about legislation that passes that gives um, two men or two women the right to marry than I am about the years upon years of inequality, the years upon years of murder, the drugs in our community. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Right, mm-hmm. and so it's not. It's not necessarily. I'm not talking about an issue of 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 one uh making one sin over the other. Right, I'm talking about if you call it sin, call it all sin, mm-hmm. and 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 address it as such. Right, mm-hmm. don't minimize what I have to go. Don't minimize the mm-hmm. suffering that my people have to go through. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I'm. You talk about family from the south. My my dad is from Natchitoches, Louisiana. Have you heard of Nakadish, Louisiana? I have not. Right? My mom is from West Monroe, Louisiana. Uh Right? And Mm -hmm. so my mom told me stories about going to the colored school and the, the white kids going to the white school and they would pass buses. Right? And she told me about how they had the better bus than than the, the Negro kids. How how um, they would shout out um, Cracker and Hillbilly and mm, whatever, mm-hmm. and the other kids would shout out Jungle Bunnies and 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 the N word. You right, know what I mean? Right. You know, and Coons and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. This thing is in me. I've seen, you know, what what my people have had to go through, mm-hmm. right? And so. Until, until you can interpret the biblical text from a perspective that connects with everybody, right? I'll tell you this last thing. I'll let it go. Um, a, a colleague of mine was um, talking about health care. He was <laughs> upset about President Obama and all this stuff. And he says, he says, you know, Corey, my people just feel like, you know, we shouldn't have to pay for somebody else's health care. That's just wrong. He said, we just feel that's wrong. I said, yeah, man. And it, excuse me, Mitch, you know, I said, damn shame, ain't it? Mm-hmm. I said, I said, Ugh. I said, it kind of sounds like Acts where the apostles told, you know, the folks to bring all their belongings into the middle and they distributed them out so that everyone had a little something, something.
1: Oh, I can't believe you threw scripture at him.
3: You <laughs> know, <laughs> then, then it was, was, you know, was, was kind of quiet on the phone. Like, mm-hmm. did he just... Yeah, bro. Could mm-hmm. it be that your hermeneutic is off?
1: There you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh,
3: no,
2: but when white supremacy is the gospel,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You're, that's where you start. And you, it, White you're,
2: supremacy is America's gospel. It's very hard to get away to, to look at someone's plight as suffering. If you want everyone to be white in order to be right, it's very difficult to reclaim or to restore a narrative that fits yeah, or I, a hermeneutic that would serve your purpose in terms of suffering. We don't want to suffer, not here in America. No, we're, we're making America great.
1: Yeah. Well, both of you have given us a lot to again, think about today. Again. again, that's right. Again, make America great again. Uh, but uh, you both have just been incredible, insightful, challenging. Thank you so much for your, uh, your time with us today, but more so thank you for your words and your ministry. Each and every week uh, we end the pod uh, asking our guest a question based upon the, uh, the the theme, or what would you say, Autumn, the, our tagline. Tag so Autumn, <laughs> why don't you uh, give you the pleasure of asking the last question?
0: Yeah, of course. I feel like you guys have already given us a lot to work with. Um, but the tagline of Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So take a minute and let our audience know about your more to tell.
2: It's a really difficult question in light of what has happened to Ahmad.
1: Mm-hmm. If
2: I'm yeah. very honest with you, I'm, I'm struggling very much so. Uh, I find myself. I'm more of a Harriet Tubman type, uh, mm. if I want to, to categorize myself. Uh, and so, right now, I'm just I'm trying to be hopeful in the midst of, and trying to read good words um, and to remember good things. But ev- if I'd be lying, <laughs> I'd be lying if I did not say that I've thought about that man every single day. Mm. I run every day. Yeah. I run every day, um, and so he will be with me. Um, I'll be talking about him for a long time.
3: Sure. Corey? Oh, there's more to tell. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is honestly some of my colleagues who are really, really struggling right now, um, really struggling were not prepared at all in any shape, form or fashion for something like this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, Their churches are struggling financially. Their members are scattered. Um, In many of these churches, their members were seniors who are not technologically in touch at all. And so they, they've had a hard time trying to connect with them and, and, and just, just simple things like giving or the sacraments is just, is just difficult. Um, and so for me, there's more to tell. I, I view this, um, every crisis is an opportunity. And so I look at when you talk about more to tell, the church is going to respond. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited in the midst of the challenge. About how we will respond to this, and um I believe we're being pushed to respond and this will be this will be the story of the church. how did the church respond um, during and after the pandemic. Mm.
1: <laughs> Well, Reverend Thomas from D.C. Baptist Convention and Reverend Doctor Jones from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Brunswick, New Jersey. Thank you so much for joining us today on Good Faith Weekly. We appreciate everything that you said today, and we pray for you and your congregations. And we will continue to get into good trouble, as uh, as uh, John Lewis encourages us to do, and as Doctor King encourage us to do we will continue to bend that arc of history towards justice by getting in the way. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and God bless. Thank you. Thank you.